Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is Episode 9, XFL, Apple of the NFL's Eye. This episode is brought to you by our friends at True Victory. If you are not perfect, if you have ever struggled, if you have ever failed, if you have ever been the underdog, if you have ever doubted yourself or been doubted by others, if you want to get better, be better, and make our world better, this is the perfect brand for you. Founded by U.S. military veterans, True Victory is a sportswear and streetwear brand dedicated to building everyday champions on and off the field. True Victory is not simply a company, they're a cause. Its purpose is to transform lives and elevate humanity through the power and unity of sports, positive stories, and serving others. They are dedicated to the game, the grind, and the globe. But most importantly, they are dedicated to you. If you want to strive for something better, while proudly showing others your determination, grit, and supporting people like yourself. Check out the True Victory Shop by simply clicking on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code PLAYER54 at checkout to receive 15% off your purchase. Aside from a growing number of XFL 2023 players signing with National Football League teams, this past week was pretty quiet in regard to XFL developments. This week, we have two guests. Tight end. Tyler Roberts joins the show to discuss his journey and the Arlington Renegades acquiring his rights. We also have pro football newsroom journalist James Larson returning to discuss XFL minicamps, workouts, and more. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On August 17th, ESPN journalist Kevin Seifert's piece provided a deeper look into the National Football League's consideration of adopting the XFL kickoff rule or a variation of it. Seifert's article mentions League Commissioner Roger Goodell and Executive Vice President of Football Operations Troy Vinson were involved in the meeting. It also includes quotes from Chairman of NFL Competition Committee Rich McKay, NFL Chief Medical Officer Dr. Alan Sills, as well as coaches and players. I am not going to dive into this article and share quotations or statistics. However, I do recommend that you find and read Seifert's article. As of August 20th, there are 58 confirmed 2023 XFL players who have signed National Football League contracts. While reports indicate there are others, neither National Football League teams nor the XFL have announced those signings. With three weeks remaining until the National Football League kicks off its 2023 season, there is plenty of time and opportunity for additional XFL players to sign. As I have previously mentioned, we will now be joined by tight end Tyler Roberts to discuss his football journey and the Arlington Renegades acquiring his rights. Welcome, Tyler. I appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show and discuss your journey and being assigned to the Arlington Renegades. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> I always like to start things off uh, with a little bit of your backstory, because I believe it's beneficial for our listeners if we do begin with that backstory to help provide everyone with a better understanding of who you are as a person and a player. So I understand you played your collegiate ball at Division I FCS Merrimack College. Can you kind of walk us through how you were introduced to the game of football, your recruiting process that led you to Merrimack, and ultimately your college experience? Yeah, um, so I started playing football the first day I could uh, back in second grade. Uh, my dad played football, you know, not in college, but all throughout his childhood up until high school. So um, I don't know that it was something that was forced on me, but uh, I definitely was in there day one and just haven't looked back since. Um, I went to a small public high school just in my hometown, Wilmington High School. I'm from Massachusetts, you know, so it's high school football is not exactly as big here as it is down in Texas or even Florida. So it just small public school, graduating class, like 240 kids. Um, we probably had, I don't know, 60 kids on the team, if that. Due to that, I was probably a little bit under-recruited, I'd like to think, out of high school. 
I only had finished high school with, you know, like three, three or four offers. So just took all my visits and ended up just falling in love with Merrimack. And, you know, I couldn't be happier with my decision looking back on it now. Who are those other schools, if you don't mind sharing? Were they Division Two, other D1 schools, NEIAs? Because we know some NEIAs also offer scholarships. To my knowledge, there's not any real NAIAs up in this area, so I don't think this area is really getting recruited that much by those. Definitely some D2 schools in the mix, some Division Ones like Ivy Leagues. And then I heard from or visited you know, some FBS schools like most FCS guys do, and then at the end of the day, either you don't get an offer or they reach out last second with a PWO to try to get you in there for without a scholarship, obviously. So I got offered by Merrimack pretty early on in their recruiting process. I was one of the first recruits they offered that that year, I think, and then committed in like December. So didn't wait very long after I got offered. Um, and then, like I said, I got no regrets about that decision. So what was it about Merrimack? Was it the coaching staff? Was it just the location? Was it some of the guys you met and you're like, you know what, I could really relate with these players and view them as my teammates and so-called brothers, you know, to go play the game with. I mean, so what was it that ultimately led you to that decision of attending Merrimack? I, I think the, the first first event that kind of led me there was my game day visit. I don't know if you're familiar with the Northeast Conference at all, the conference that Merrimack plays in, but we by far and away have the best fan base of the conference. Um, like we, we get 12,000 fans in some of our home games and there's just no one else in the, the conference that was doing that. Um, so my game day visit was one of their homecoming games, which is a pretty big event at Merrimack. So I, I don't know how many fans were there now, but just compared to some of the other game days I was going on at the time, it was one that definitely kind of piqued my interest. So looking at your collegiate career, I don't have them right in front of me, but I remember in the lead up to this interview that I noticed that you were, an all-rookie team member. I believe you were an all-conference team member in 2021, if, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And you also had some uh, player of the games or player of the week, something, something tied in there. So what can you share about your career and, you know, how it kind of progressed from, obviously, day of freshman to the day that, that you left? Yeah, um, I don't know if you noticed, but the, the all-rookie team, I was actually named to that team as a linebacker. So my, my freshman year of college, I – Played as a linebacker, finished with right around 60 tackles. And then, you know, going into my sophomore year, our head coach, Coach Kern, pulled me aside and told me I was switching to offense. And at the time, I, I kind of thought he just meant like situationally. Um, I'd still play defense. I'd be going both ways. You know, a guy like, I don't know, I think Jabril Peppers was doing it at that point in time. So I was like, this is going to be awesome. Pretty early on there, I figured out I wasn't playing any more defense. So, uh, lucky enough, I was I, I did start right away my sophomore year at tight end, um, but I only finished the year with, I want to say, like six catches. So, you know, I didn't exactly find the success that I wanted to right away at the tight end position, especially coming off a 60-tackle season the year before. You know, I, I was kind of kind of questioning the transition. And then, you know, we had the, the COVID year and then played in the spring. I had a pretty good year. Um, and then, like you said, 2021, I think I finished with, around like 52 receptions, um, upwards of 600 yards and six touchdowns. So um, that's definitely the year that was kind of kicked my, my uh, NFL draft stock off and, you know, kind of put me on the map. And then unfortunately this past year, uh, I dealt with some injuries for the first time in really my entire life, which, uh, you know, kind of derailed the season and ultimately negatively affected my draft stock. Like I, I think every guy in the XFL, you know, has, has gone through some, some roller coasters and that's kind of the reason we are where we're at. So, you know, the past year and a half for me, definitely a bit of a roller coaster, but you know, you come out on the other side of it, I think uh, a better person. So, so post-college, just bear with me on my research. I don't claim to be the best researcher, so I, I might have some holes here, but uh, I really didn't unearth any professional playing experience. Am I missing any stints? Because I know that you had your minicamp invite by the Kansas City Chiefs. So I, I know you did that. So can you kind of walk us through what that invite and that minicamp was and, you know, kind of how that ex experience was? You know, what did you hear from the coaches? Because, you know, obviously ultimately you didn't get signed. So, I mean, if we could kind of just learn a little bit about what that experience was. And then were there any other professional experiences that I just unfortunately weren't unable to find? 
No, yeah, it was just just the opportunity uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs, um, and you know it, it did it did go really well. I just think for them, you know, I was kind of a betweener. Not no, I'm not six four. I'm just a little bit over six two, and I, I think to be honest, they just obviously have a pretty stacked tight end room. So I, they didn't sign a single rookie tight end. I, I did get some some good feedback from. Um, some higher ups in their front office staff. You know, I wasn't just like sent on my way with a pat on the back. I do think I had a pretty good mini camp um, and there were conversations of potentially signing me, but obviously it just, it didn't pan out. So since then I just, you know, started training for any uh, potential private workouts that would come up and then ultimately got invited to that XFL combine. So. Since you kind of opened that bag, we all know you ultimately got assigned to the Renegades. So, can you kind of share with us how that came about? So I take it you did not participate in any showcases. You must have just received an invite to the combine directly. So can you just kind of share how that came about? Who reached out to you and, and, and whatnot the lead up to that? That's correct. Yeah, I, I didn't go to any showcases. Uh, most of that was, I got to give credit to my agent. He obviously is the one that reached out to a lot of teams. And then it was obviously the, the team personnel were the ones that could invite players to the combine that hadn't gone to any of the showcases. So um, I was one of those players. I believe, I, I can't say for sure, but I believe it was actually the Renegades who did uh, invite me to the Combine. And then obviously I, I think I performed well enough there to ultimately end up getting signed this past week. You know, that says a lot, though, if you think about the coaching staff of the Renegades with Coach Stoops and even the Hayes brothers that have been around for a little bit. This is not their first go around with the XFL. They were involved with the XFL back in 2020. So I think that actually speaks volumes of what, you know, what, what you've done, even though you're a tweener, so to speak, even though you were a player converting from the defensive side of the ball to the offensive side of the ball as an H back tight end, you know, like it's, that's pretty interesting because that's not just like a first year head coach. That's legendary Bob Stoops and his staff thought pretty highly of you. So, so what does that mean to you to know that that particular staff sent you the invite so you could participate in the combine? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I think I'm pretty blessed after my college career ended. I've had a chance to spend time with the, the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Reigning Super Bowl champs, Andy Reid, Hall of Fame head coach, um, and being in that system, and then coming in the XFL with the, the reigning XFL champs and Bob Stoops, who's obviously an, another coaching legend. So I mean, pretty blessed in that regard to obviously, hopefully, be able to play now in, in two great systems. So that must be one blast, like you said, but that must be very motivating that you know that you're catching the eye of, like you said, legendary Hall of Famers, those type of people. And, like, you know, there's probably always moments where people are like, yeah, you know, I didn't go to a big enough school or the right program, a Power Five school. You know, there's always those stigmas. And whatever it is, regardless of what it, you are seeing enough, like, does it, does that like add a little bit more fuel to the fire? Like you realize you're really that close to obtaining your dream. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, you're kind of, kind of in it so much. Sometimes it's tough to like step back and look at the bigger picture like that. But I think if anything, not ultimately not getting signed after mini camp really did add fuel to the fire because, you know, you spend time at that level and you know, you can play at that level and it's just, like like an XFL League of Opportunity. All you need is another opportunity. Maybe didn't quite get a fair shake because, of, you know, it, it, part of it's a numbers game. So you want to get in there, maybe be higher up on depth charts after a season or two or three in the XFL. And then, you know, ultimately your, your career can be vastly different then than it was now. I can see how that would just be like, you know, I, can, I got this. Not to be overconfident, but just how building – you know, confidence in yourself just not to give up and just to kind of reach and dig a little bit deeper because you're just that much closer. I, I could definitely see that. So, I mean, that, that's pretty cool. Can you kind of share your experience at the Combine a little bit? Because obviously we know everybody there are invitees, whether they participated at the showcases and got invited to the Combine, whether they were guys that actually were drafted in the lead-up to 2023, and for whatever reason, didn't make that final roster with the XFL, but they're getting a second look back. These are all people that are, for the lack of a better term, it's not, you know, cast away from the National Football League, but they're not nobody to overlook. They're going to take a deeper look. So can you kind of just share with us what that experience was 
Because, you know, combines are combines, showcases are showcases, but it's probably a little different having all those coaches there. And how much did you interact with certain staff members or coaches there? And and can you just kind of walk in? I don't want to spoon feed you too much. You just kind of share with us what that experience was a little bit. Yeah, luckily, um, I like I said earlier, I didn't attend one of the showcases, but I did have a couple, uh, you know, players that I've either crossed path with or, or played with in the past that did. So I was able to reach out to them and kind of get a gist of, you know, what it was going to be like. And then also, obviously, the, the XFL sent us some information leading up to it. So kind of went into it with a pretty good idea of what to expect, which is always good because, you know, in, when you know what to expect, you feel a little bit more prepared. Between that and, you know, the amount of training I was doing, I feel like I really, to this point, obviously I haven't been playing a ton of football, but I don't feel like I truly had an off season because, you know, you're training for, I did two pro days, you're training for a couple pro days, then I had a private workout and then you have mini camp and then you're training for more private workouts and then you get the XFL combine. So it's like, to this point, I really feel like it all has just all been training, 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 haven't really had a true off season, so to speak. So I went into the combine prepared because of it, obviously, uh, when you got caught off an injury, but with six months of training, I felt prepared for it. I think I ran well. Um, and then obviously the director of player personnel and the entire coaching staff from every team in the league was there. So the opportunity to, you know, show what you got in front of the right eyes is really all you can ask for. I think. Well, you obviously did extremely well, not just from the previous footage and your collegiate statistics because that combine led to you having your rights taken selected assigned whatever term we want to use because we don't know if it no it's not reported as a draft how did you learn that you were now property of the arlington renegades yeah so first call came in from my agent um because i think he he and the the gm rick Mueller for the renegades are they've obviously worked together in the past so they knew each other a little bit so first call from came from my agent and then rick Mueller called me probably i don't know an hour and a half two hours later and first thing he said on the phone was congratulations you're the only player we selected so you know that it definitely felt pretty good to hear since then have you had any more conversations with coaches staff of the renegades because we're learning that there are some mini camps here on the horizon here in September. Is there any more communication going back and forth as to whether you got to be packing your bags and heading to one of these babies? It's actually the first I've heard of it. Now, to be honest with you, he said, or uh, I can't obviously say word for word, but obviously training camp starts in January. And I personally didn't know there was any OTAs or mini camp or anything like that. So I thought it was pretty much just training on our own until January to this point. But well, it's not officially reported. It is reported from people that have contacts with the league and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So we have learned that there is a mini camp for the Orlando Guardians in September, and we have learned that there are some workouts that the D.C. Defenders are doing. So if one team is doing something, chances are the other teams are doing something similar, or if not all. So that's the reason why I mention it. But that doesn't mean that those are not meant for people that their rights are not already assigned. That could be a outlier for people that they're still looking to find people to bring into camp. So maybe your spot is locked in. So that could, you know, it could mean a number of things, right? Which is good for you, right? You don't yeah. have to worry about, you know, you're uh, showing up in, in January. So that's pretty cool one way or another, you know, like it's just trying to figure out who's involved and what aspects of what process but, I mean, that's encouraging to know that you don't have to worry about much until camp. So what are you doing now to prepare for that camp? All right, Because now you know where you need to be, what the potential of that date is, reporting date or whatever. So yeah. are you altering yourself? Or are you going to give yourself a little bit of time off to kind of, kind of, you know, make sure you're fully healthy before you kind of pick it back up leading into that? Or are you going to kind of just kind of stay, stay in the same grind, so to speak? Yeah, two things. First, you know, like I said, I, I think this, I'll go into like a true sort of off-season training program now. I'm actually, I have a degree in exercise science and have been a strength conditioning coach in the past, just internships throughout college. But, um, so I kind of program all that stuff my own. So I'll go into a, a true, you know, off-season training phase where it will ramp up for that report date in January. And then secondly, I uh, recently accepted a position as a high school football coach. So uh, it's a private school in the area. So, you know, it's 
it's one of the only jobs you can do for, you know, just the fall of the year. This was going to be the first fall in, I don't know, 16 years where I wasn't playing football, just with it being a spring football league. So I had to find a way back in, you know, and then on top of that, you're watching film, demo and reps, things like that. So if anything, that's just going to help me as a player stay sharp on top of all that. So coaching and playing are two different things. Um, you know, I'm a former collegiate athlete. I didn't play football because I didn't come from football schools. They eventually picked up football after I graduated high school. So I was a soccer player and played college and whatnot. But I've done some youth coaching and stuff. It is a tad bit different than just playing the game. You know, some things come naturally. You know, some people are coachable, and I like to think I was a coachable guy. But it's a little bit different trying to teach the game and teach the things that came natural to you to somebody else. So how do you anticipate this going? I mean, what positions are you going to be coaching? Uh, you know, how are you going to get involved in this? And this might help you as a player, though, too, because it might kind of change your insights a little bit. Yeah, like like I said, any chance you got to watch more films is a good one. And, you know, I do think the, the mental aspect's a little different. When you're a player, it's it's all about you. It's like, how can I get better? How can I do this? When do I do that? When you're a coach, you know, it's all about everybody else. It's like, like what can I give to this person versus, like, what can I take away? So I, I do think the mental aspect of it's a little different and might be something that, you know, takes some getting used to for me. Um, and then on top of that, like you said, I played football at the, at the highest level in the NFL. So teaching this to, you know, some high school kids, they might have a little more, something that came naturally to me or I don't even have to think about doing because it's muscle memory, might be a lot harder for them. So it is, you're, you're going to focus in a little more on minute details that I wouldn't even think of otherwise. Um, but, you know, I think, like I said earlier, that just ingrains, like getting better at the basics and things like that. So if anything, it, it is going to make me a better player. Before we wrap this all up, what is there about you that people just don't really know, but makes you uniquely you and probably why you're successful, right? You haven't obtained the total dream yet, but you are on your way to hopefully making that happen. So what is it about you that makes you tick, that makes you you, that maybe somebody from the outside like myself or our listeners that tune into a game or in whatnot just don't know? I think it's it's just it's all about my standard and my expectations. I truly think like anything I do, I, I try to do it right. You know, I'm not doing I'm not taking shortcuts. I'm not doing anything. I'm doing I'm going to do it the right way, not the easy way. And that's how I've done it my whole career. And that's how I'm going to continue to do it throughout my whole career. Um, you know, I think I've earned everything, and I think I'm going to continue to do that. So, pretty cool. Well, Tyler, it has been a pleasure, and I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Perhaps later on down the road. We could do this again to discuss what it is to be an Arlington Renegade and an XFL player. You know, not to get the, the cart in front of the horse, but, you know, if it's a hat to be, you know, I'd love to have you come back. Absolutely. Yeah, got to make that roster first. But. <laughs> Absolutely. You got some work ahead of you, but, you know, I just want to let you know the door is open. But before you go, if you don't mind, I think you'd be helpful for yourself as well as fans to get to know you a little bit better if you just take a moment and let our listeners know where they could find you whether if you have social media accounts some players have created their own brands whether it's merchandise other things they got going on you say that you know you're kind of into the the sports science and health aspect of things so if you got any of those things by all means please promote yourself yeah, I think it's uh, Tyler underscore Roberts 33 on Twitter or T underscore Roberts 04 on Instagram. Uh, no no merch company or anything like that yet. Uh, kind of still focusing on my, on myself, bettering myself right now. So, okay, Well, you know, can't blame you. But I'm just saying, yeah. hey, if you are, I want to help you, you know, reach all your goals in every which way. So Appreciate that. Well, oh, you're welcome. Until next time. Thanks for having me. We are blessed to have Tyler on the show and learn about him as a person and player. It is important to get to know the players who make up the league that we love. Each player has a unique story, and I am grateful to have the opportunity to share it with you. As I have also previously mentioned, we will now be joined by Pro Football Newsroom journalist James Larson to discuss XFL minicamps, workouts, and more. Welcome back, James. I appreciate you taking the time to return to the show to discuss the upcoming mini camps and maybe some workouts. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. 
it's been two months, but you know, it just seems like yesterday. It seems like we're always, you know, just talking, but even though a little bit of time goes by, but it's always a pleasure. It really is. So back on August 7th, you reported the Orlando Guardians will be hosting a mini camp on September 6th and 7th. From what you've been told, uh, where exactly is this camp going to be? I mean, is this something that we're probably looking at Arlington? Are they kind of getting back into the markets? Do you, do you have any idea? So honestly, I'm not 100% sure where the location is because there's a couple moving pieces for one. Uh, there was also a DC Defenders mini can that was scheduled that eventually got canceled and that was supposed to be held in atlanta surprisingly uh, it would have been held in atlanta georgia so that is no longer happening but uh the orlando the orlando mini camp from what i know is going to be in arlington but that could change that might be somewhere else i'm honestly not 100 sure there if one team's having mini camp it usually gets me to think well one team's not gonna get a leg up versus the other seven right so We'd have to think that other ones are possibly, if they're not scheduled as of yet, they're probably in the works. And which I kind of thought was a little interesting because I had Tyler Roberts on that his rights were secured by the Renegades. And I just asked him if he'd be attending a mini camp. He said he knew nothing. He was told he'd be reporting to camp in January. So I thought that was a little interesting because if the Guardians are going to proceed with their mini camp, even if it's a two-day mini camp, I'm kind of curious who's coming into these camps, right? Because we know that some rosters have guys under contract. We know there's a bunch of rights out there that are being secured, whether it's through the combines, uh, whether it was the XFL combine, the IFL to XFL combine. So there's a bunch of you know things in the works here, but it also makes me wonder because we know that off the Markcast interview with Russ uh, Gigolo there that they have a draft coming this fall. So, okay, they got to be looking at people one way or another, right? You know, whether it's workouts, mini camps. What are your thoughts on that? I know I'm probably causing a little bit of a whirlwind here, but, like, I mean, my mind just kind of, it's the middle of August, right? And if they're going to do this, you're, you're talking about half a month or so away that these events would probably, or in the case of the Guardians, that's when it's going to take place. So, I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so that's the uh, the big factor here for these mini camps is that they're not for players that are like on the team or whatever. You know, mini camp might not be the best term to use. That's just the term that I was given. But they're essentially tryouts. And here's the thing: you know, we've seen the XFL have so many tryouts throughout the summer. We've had you know six or seven so showcases. We had the combine. You know, we had the IFL XFL combine. Uh, the thing that makes these team centric um, tryouts unique is that they're only going to be featuring, you know, coaches, personnel, staff from the individual teams. So, for example, in Orlando's case, they're going to be taking in a few guys that, you know, impress them at the showcases or the combine or just some free agent that they're like, hey, we need to give this guy a look. Let's bring him in. Let's have him in for a day or two here at this mini camp. Uh, we'll see what our coaches think of him. Because it's one of those things where, you know, your team and your team alone has a chance to look at a guy rather than, at the combine where, you know, you had all eight teams present, you know, you had all different XFL personnel there. It was, again, I don't know all the details of the combine, but it's like, if you have all eight teams, there looking at one guy, you know, that guy is going to be talking to all eight teams. Whereas when a team like the guardians is holding a mini camp for their own team, they get to look at them by themselves for a couple of days. Uh, so that's kind of the purpose of those sorts of events is really just to look at some of these guys that they're thinking about signing um, and to circle back, you know, to your to your point about with Arlington and Tyler Roberts, he's already been acquired. He's already been picked up by Arlington, and technically he hasn't been signed. It's this whole weird rights acquired thing, but he's going to be playing for the Renegades unless some big NFL opportunity comes his way. He's with Arlington, so he's already set there. They don't really need to give him another look. They already gave him a look. They want him on the team. That's why they acquired him in the Combine uh, Rights draft, which was held, I believe, it was at the end of last week or the week before. So all that to say is Orlando guarding his mini camp. You know, I'm excited to see, you know, as long as the event still holds up, sometimes these events, you know, get canceled for different reasons. But as of right now, it's going to be September 6th and 7th. And they've got a, a good handful of talented players that are going to be featured there. So I'm excited to see what happens. I find this pretty interesting, but in a good way, not like, oh, hey, what's going on here? Because the lead up to 2023 season, 
all teams, even when they have their own workouts, from what I was told by various people connected to each of the teams, is that even those workouts, that information wasn't like just private to that team staff. They were all working in unison to get as much information possible, right, to for that massive pool for the teams that had the best talent that they could obtain. We know that the showcases, the combines, no matter if it's the XFL combine, the IFL, the XFL combine, those are very, again, open. Everyone's getting to see the same thing. The data that's going to be collected, even that's not from your traditional, you know, drills that are done, you know, whether it's the, the VOLD performance testing and whatnot. So that's all shared across. So, and then when we find out the IFL, the XFL combine, that there weren't coaches or coordinators on hand there was supposedly one representative from each team there because again they were in just an information gathering stage to share across so any of those type of events appear obviously that it's all hands on deck all for the good of ownership right the league they're all owned by the same thing now why i find this interesting is because finally from what you're sharing we're getting some unique teams now teams are going to start worrying about themselves other than just what they talk in their own closed door meetings now they get some sessions they can try to be like okay we we get whatever information out of this it's our information good bad or ugly right Uh, off this player and that's where it starts to feel like okay these teams are more teams instead of just one of eight of one team because you get what i'm saying it kind of just kind of had that five before like okay at one point we're gonna turn that page this sounds like we've turned that page. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, I think it's a fascinating point to be in where these teams are looking to focus on themselves, right? I mean, we're past season one, we're heading to season two. And, you know, Orlando in particular is a team that, you know, you know this, you were there <laughs> for a one and nine season. They really need some help uh, heading into season two. And I'd say, you know, it's not just about the talent, it's more about just the overall execution of. From top to bottom. I mean, yeah, this is stuff that I'm preaching to the choir here. You know this. Um, but to get back to your original point, I think it's I think it's great to see that the that the league is giving some of these teams more freedom uh in this sort of area. And I also am I'm intrigued to see, you know, wh- what other opportunities is this is this gonna provide for players, right? Because the XFL it's a called a league of opportunity for a reason. So not only are they having all these showcases and combines for these players, but now if these teams start giving guys individual looks, you know, I think it's a fascinating thing because you look at the NFL right now today and, you know, how many times during a season do you see an organization bring in just a random free agent? They're like, you know, it's week seven. We need some help in this area. Uh, let's give this guy a workout. Let's see how he does. Um, so I think seeing more and more XFL teams doing this not only gives more opportunities to these free agents, but also kind of solidifies the XFL as like a league that does things professionally and does them accustomed to what we've already seen other leagues do. I wholeheartedly agree. It was like, just felt like, well, even last year, once it got to the tryouts, and I'm not saying they didn't have some, because during during uh, training camp, they did do individual tryouts, like where they brought in players. I'm like, I remember Michael Badajo was one of the guys that got brought in by the Guardians, yep. right? So I'm not saying that at what point it was all being shared. Probably at that point, it was more one-on-one. And But that is what seems like a typical NFL or whatever way of doing things. You know, I understand the NFL teams have their own ownerships and stuff, but at some point, this gets the feeling of this is our team. You know, and when we saw trades late in the year, you know, for whatever reason, it just is kind of weird that, you know, Luis Perez gets traded late to the Renegades, right? We can talk about why, and everyone's going to have their own theories and things. But I like the fact that there's not a trade deadline a little bit earlier because it is a shortened season anyway, and it takes miles for teams to really figure out what they got. You know, the first two, three weeks without really having um, preseason, yeah, it takes a while to figure out what they have. And then if some people are just not good, it fits for the offense or in the locker room, right, with their personnel. Okay, whatever it is. Well, then you may make a later trade, but it also just kind of seems a little weird how close that was to the end of the season. So, I mean, good, bad, or ugly, I'm, I, I guess I'm not here trying to convince people one way or another. I can see the pros and the cons, but it just kind of has a weird feel that, well, it is one league owned by one ownership. It might be look a little bit different if it was multiple owners in even a spring alternative football league. So I, 
I think it's good to start seeing that difference that, okay, these are individual entities, which they should be, you know, because that's what makes sports the whole aspect of uh, whether it's, I don't want to say if it is, but the feel of whether these, am I a fan of a team, an organization, a city, or am I, you know, loosely a fan of the XFL as a whole, right? And that's, I think, where it starts to be like, if they're separate entities now, I can really hone in on being that. And that's what we kind of need, right? Those diehard fans eventually be like, this is my team, not just like, uh, I'll root for this one team, one of the eight, just because it's closer to me, but like, I'm a fan of a league. I mean, I piggybacked off a bunch of different things there, but I mean, does that make any sense? Oh, it absolutely does. And I think, you know, that's the goal of the league, obviously, is within the next couple of years, hopefully, as it continues to grow and expand and you know, we get more fans, you know, you see the, the ratings continue to tip upwards that you're going to be attracting some of these outside investors and people that really want to invest in the league. And that's a whole rabbit hole that we can go down of, you know, who's potential owners for these teams or that team. And, you know, you, you see the XFL, it's just poised in a position where, you know, it, it's not guaranteed to survive, right? But if the right people come along and the right things fall into, into the right place at the right time, anything's possible and you could really have a full league of eight owners with diverse teams, diversified assets. And I think it'd be great for the league just across the board. So yeah, I totally agree with your point there. Yeah. There's a little bit of time. I think before we see that, you know, we got to get through season two, probably through season three to be realistic, but Hey, like you said, that's another whole conversation, a rabbit hole to go down, and we won't, we won't even start I've got, that. Today. I've already got a specific owner for a specific team that I would love, but we can we can discuss that at another time. Oh, yeah. No, hey, the offseason's long enough. We can, we can circle back on a different date. Definitely. Absolutely. So to kind of move past this a little bit, you know, obviously I did touch base last episode with my guest to talk about the NFL's consideration of the XFL's kickoff rule. But today, from ESPN's Kevin Seifert, it appears there's a lot going on. This is a little bit more than consideration. This sounds like there's legitimate discussion. So, I mean, without me kind of just running with the floor here, what are your thoughts on this whole thing with the NFL uh, considering the XFL kickoff? Yeah, I mean, he dropped a bombshell this morning, and I'm surprised that we aren't seeing more people talk about it right now because – you know, we obviously know that the XFL and the NFL have had relations since the XFL came back. Uh, you know, that's a no-brainer. That's a given. But what I thought was fascinating about what Cypher dropped this morning was the fact that not only, not only did they have a specific XFL-NFL meeting about this, but who was present there? Roger Goodell. I mean, that's the NFL commissioner. Like, you want to talk professional football. That's the guy, whether you like him or not, I mean, he's at the top of the top. Like, you can't get higher than Roger Goodell in the world of professional football. So the fact that he met um, with other NFL and XFL officials just to discuss some of these rule changes, to discuss the idea of potentially looking to the XFL kickoff uh, is such a monumental moment for the XFL, right? Because there's, there's a couple of reasons why the XFL exists. For one, of course, it's the League of Opportunity. It's where the dreams intersect within the X, right? It's providing these 54 players who have signed with NFL teams. But on the flip side, you also have the innovative, the innovation side of things where you've got, you know, Danny Garcia, Dwayne Johnson, Redbird Capital, and then all of the incredible executives within, within this league that are like, what are the changes that we can bring to the game of football? How can we continue to improve the game of football? And as they like to say, you know, just continuing to, uh, to just expand upon the game that we know and love. So again, I, I'm going off on a tangent here, but to circle back to your original point. The fact that they had a meeting where, you know, you have a quote from Rich McKay, the chairman of the NFL competition committee, where he says, I remain optimistic that we can find creative solutions, whether it's a version of the XFLs or a reboot of this play. So obviously the NFL is well aware that the current kickoff that they have right now is just, it's getting phased out of the game. I mean, there's no ifs and buts about it, whether or not you like it or not. The traditional kickoff that we know right now is kind of moving on out. So it begs the question, like, if you want to keep the kickoff in the game, what do you look to? And I think it's clear the NFL is heavily looking at the XFL's kickoff right now. I don't have it right in front of me, but I'm trying to go off my recollection from reading Seifert's article. There were some statistics he used in there, and if I recall correctly, 60% 
of the kickoffs were touchbacks. Does it does that ring a bell with you? And then it was like forty percent. It's either sixty percent were touchbacks and fair catches, and maybe forty percent were only returned. But either way, they're looking at it from a standpoint that it, it's just essentially turned into a dead play. That it hasn't really done anything, and when it does, it's still essentially not safe enough. So they obviously to keep the kickoff in the game. This is essentially we keep hearing that term used over and over by the XFL and the staff members, the ecosystem, the football ecosystem. And this is where they're essentially contributing to the ecosystem, not just by the 54 or 55 players that are now signed to you know, National Football League rosters, and we'll see who makes the cut of the 53-player rosters you know, here in a couple of weeks. But now it looks like they're truly contributing to where the game that we see on the field that some people call a little gimmicky with these alternative professional leagues in the spring, it may not be that gimmicky if the big dog, the National Football League, is taking notice. And whether they adopt it or not, I think there was a piece in, in Seifert's article where it stated that they it may not take it in totality. They may just shift where the players are lined up. They like the fact that the, they line up closer to the, the returner, but they might pull that a little bit upfield so it's not as close. So. The XFL obviously started something here, good, bad, or ugly, that looks like it's not just an XFL thing anymore. This could definitely be the wave of the future for the National Football League. No, you're absolutely right, Mike. And, uh, yeah, the, the quote from Rich McKay uh, about that specifically was he said, we don't have to just adopt their formation just the way it is. Maybe we tweak it. But the concept of putting these players closer together and further down to field, to me, there's something to that. Uh, and I think that's a profound statement of kind of where they're at right now, because as we said, like the NFL, they're not just going to rip it completely. I mean, the, the odds of that happening are relatively low, but they're obviously going to take inspiration from it if they decide to go down this route. And it, you know, begs the question, where do you start seeing some XFL, NFL, like official partnerships come into play? Right. Because, you know, at the end of the day, the XFL is here to, to show the NFL that not only do they have quality athletes, but they also have quality rules and innovations. And, hey, why not come together and really continue to branch out the game of football? So I think that's something that's just really intriguing to keep an eye on that, you know, at some point down the road, if the XFL and the NFL end up partnering together, you know, what does that look like? There's so many possibilities we can get into regarding that. Uh, but to stay on to stay on topic here. Uh, regarding the kickoff, you're right as well. Uh, circling back to the, to touchbacks, 60% of kicks were touchbacks this year. I mean, where's the excitement in that? Uh, you know, as an honest football fan here, I mean, the kickoff is one of the most exciting plays in the game. And I, I know this is an XFL podcast, but I do need to, to note that the USFL, they obviously are very key on having kickoffs in their game as well. My dad, he had gone to a USFL game this past year and the first thing he told to me after that game was, man, those kickoffs were so exciting. We had a, there were a couple of big returns in that game. There was the Michigan Panthers return. He had like a couple returns that went like 60, 70 yards. And that place was going crazy. Like it's such an exciting play. So that's just one example of the fact that the fans want kickoff returns in the game. But I also fully understand, as you do, I mean, it's a dangerous play. The way it's designed in the NFL, I mean, there's a reason why they're trying to knock it out is because with all the, the legal cases they have in their hands these days and the concussions and this and that, it makes sense to look to innovations to try to, you know, reimagine and recreate something that maintains the excitement with less risk. So I think that the XFL is in a great spot right now because the NFL is looking at their kickoff and they have the data from year one now, right? It's not just half a season from 2020. We have a full year of data to look at from the 2023 season, one that was pretty successful across the board. So I'm excited. Well, they really have data from 2023 and the half a season from 2020 because it's the same kickoff rule. And yeah. we know back in 2020, there was two returns to the house. You know, the, when the Battlehawks did it against the Guardians and when the Renegades did it against the Guardians in 2020. So when you look at it there, it is possible to have the full return. And I did touch base on this, and I know anyone that's tuning in this week is probably like, okay, we heard this last week a little bit from Mike. But the AAF 
eliminated the kickoff and just, I can't remember what yard line they put it on. They started off. Okay. We're going to put the ball down here. It's first down. Let's go. I think the kickoff still needs to be part of the game because it's football, right? Let's not reinvent the right. whole. I mean, I touched base last week about, could you imagine at the national football league, we never had Devin Hester. Just, I mean, like if we lost, there was a player that essentially became a pro bowler, a household name because of kick returns and punt returns. So I'm not just going to say it's just solely kickoff returns, it, but what did that do? It opened the door for him to start playing receiver. Like it started opening the door for a player. We all know that special teams is the foot in the door. And if we take out the kickoff, if we take out a punt, we're going to close the doors for a lot of these French players that are trying to go from the XFL, the USFL, whoever else, these indoor arena leagues, they're going to try to get into the National Football League. That is their potential pathway in if they're going to make a 53-man roster, and that's where they're going to be contributing. They're probably not going to be wide receiver number two. They're probably not going to be running back number two. Not saying one or two of them can't get that. Yes, it can happen, but if the guys are really going to latch on, they're probably going to have to do the special teams and let's keep football football. So I think this is where, again, the XFL is contributing to the ecosystem. This somewhat helps to legitimize a league like the XFL because they're bringing more to the table than just giving players and coaches opportunities, right, to help. You know, even coaches, we keep saying all the time how some coaches just don't get a chance at the National Football League. You know, it's kind of an old, the old boys club. But here, the XFL can take a chance on, you know, the USFL, whoever these other leagues. This is where they can contribute. But now rules... And seeing how they are completely reimagined, completely instituted, so you can see it in real life, not in just in scrimmage situations. I think this is huge. And I think it kind of brings synergy amongst these leagues a little bit because there are vast differences. But then also now, like, you know what? This isn't just some odd fly by night league. This league, we need it because football needs it for the future because of, we know it is a dangerous, it's a violent game. No, no matter how many rule changes and innovations we make, it's still going to be football. And that's what we want it to be. But there are ways to kind of be a little bit smarter and uh, implement some new things. So, I mean, I, I know I kind of went on my tangent here. I kind of do that every once in a while. So it just seems like it's a no-brainer. Finally, you know, these leagues are contributing more than just, you know, one or two seasons and then fly-by-nights. It seems like it's, this is, could be something for the long term. You're absolutely right. I, I couldn't, couldn't have said any better myself. I think it's just continuing to, to prove the legitimacy of spring football and why it matters and why it's here to stay. And why it's okay for it to be different, right? I, I think in the end, it's okay. It's not the NFL. We hear all these people beating their chest. Well, if it's not it's like not the supposed NFL. To be. Right. But because it's not, now the NFL could eventually perfect its play because I mean, we already and said. The, the funny thing is, and not to go off on a tangent here, but if it was an exact carbon copy of the NFL, you'd have those same people being like, oh, this is just the NFL. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, how many of us hey, it, at some point life. say that we're looking for something a little bit different? We want football a little bit different, right? I mean, right. I look at the kickoff in the National Football League as an opportunity to go use the restroom. It's just the reality. And I'm not saying there's not some plays because my guest Brian Roth last week reminded me in one game, the Buffalo Bills took two to the house. Okay. All right. It's fine. But more often than not, I didn't know the statistics, but when those statistics were shared in Seaford's article, I'm like, you know what? There's a reason why I looked at it as that's not really a much of a play. I'll, I'll be back shortly. You know, it's a real, so now you can keep it that, I mean, we see a return essentially what 98% of the time out of the XFL unless it's kicked out of bounds or something. Yeah, no, it, it's a, it's up there. So, I mean, it's a play. Anything can happen. A fumble, you know, a return to the house, or just a decent return. So, I mean, hey, we're not going to go on a whole tangent of anything more off from that. I promised you I wasn't going to hold you too long. So, James, as always, it's been a pleasure, and I appreciate you taking the time to come back onto the show to discuss the XFL minicamps, workouts, whatever we want to call them. Heck, even the NFL considering the kickoff. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks for having me on. As always, it was a pleasure. It's a privilege to talk spring football. I'm glad that we're still able to talk about so many different things going on in late 2023. Definitely wouldn't have thought that we'd be here right now just a couple of years ago. But hey, look at us. 
we're privileged, really. I mean, if you think about really it, they, you know, there's so many leagues that have come and gone, and you know, if they had one year, or whatever, it's really a privilege to have. For me, a show dedicated to one league and the league hang around, but someone for like you that's just a journalist with a pro football newsroom, so that you can cover multiple leagues and stuff like that. So it, it really is a privilege. We're blessed for this time that maybe finally we get it to stick. You know, hopefully. I hope so. I really hope so. I think there's millions of people out there who hope so too. So why don't you take one more opportunity to share with everyone where they could find your work? I know I just kind of said pro football newsroom, but uh, just let everyone know where they could find you and your work. Cause you're definitely a must follow. I appreciate the kind words, Mike. Yeah. So my Twitter is at James Larson PFN. Uh, that's where of course, most of my articles are posted, my stories, whatever is going on. Uh, that's where I stay on top of every, of everything there. Of course, I write for the USFL newsroom.com and the XFL newsroom.com. I also do photography. Uh, this past USFL season, I was, uh, at about 15 games. So if you feel, feel like checking out my photography, that's over on Instagram at James Larson official. And I think that about covers it. Perfect. Thank you, James. Thank you. Thanks again for having me on, Mike. It was a pleasure. And I look forward to talking again, hopefully sooner than later. You're welcome. And likewise, my friend, it is always a pleasure having James as a guest. He is well connected within the alternative football community and has valuable insight to share. In my opinion, James is a top five follow. If you are not already following him, I highly recommend you do so. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL related comic question or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863 Talk XFL or 863 825 5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing. If you are interested in checking out our friends over at True Victory, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, PLAYER54, for 15% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.